0: So, um, I'm Jo McMeekin. I am a children's physio. I am a mum to two boys with additional needs, and I'm a director of Send Story CIC. And I support children and young people with additional needs and their families to navigate the health and education um, services. Um, And I do that with horses and out in nature in a way that is a little bit out of the box. Um, and we're based mm. in um, South Cross and Bristol, but we also offer a lot of services online um, for supporting families across the, the UK and wider, if we can.
1: Amazing. Wow. So, yeah, we, me, me and Joe met at um, that, again, so weird how everything's interconnected through Danny Wallace at so Be Inspired.
2: So, of course,
1: yeah. Yeah, so, like, it was one of those um, where, like, I think one of us spoke and then we, there was a, an alignment straight away and we were like, yep, Let's, let's make it happen. So then me, me and Joe are cool, and obviously we're, I, I want to plan our team to go down and visit her and her team as well, because of the amazing work they do, to, to educate me, because I'm really open to learning new things about SEN um, and obviously the, the approach you're taking out, outside the box, which we'll dive into, I'm really interested I'm, in covering.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. Actually, funny enough, I've just taken up a role as a community governor at a SEN school.
1: Oh cool. Uh, An
2: Academy uh, Trust here so I'm, I'm... I'm going really deep into understanding these areas, so you're gonna, I'm gonna learn a lot here. So yeah. yeah, welcome, welcome to the podcast.
0: Amazing, thank you so much for having me. I do love to share all of what we do and have a good old chat about everything. So, and it was great meeting Sam at um, at Be Inspired with Danny Wallace because, and I, I think I think you're right, Sam. I just remember hearing you talk about what you do, and I was like, I need to talk to him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a good event, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. It so, good. but yeah, like we. We um start our podcast with the same question, um, however, I'm spinning it slightly um, today, just so, so, so we, yeah, so, so we can go back a little bit because usually we, we go in the present. so um, what sparked your curiosity to begin the journey um, that got you to where you are today?
0: So it's one of those really weird things, isn't it? I think sometimes things come across your path in life that put you to where you need to be and your own experiences sort of lead you mm. to where you need to be. And I originally went in to become a physiotherapist because I wanted to work with horses, because I wanted to step in and, and deliver physio for horses. And at the time, the only way that you could do that was by qualifying as a, a human physio first and foremost. Um so that sort of put me on the path to physiotherapy and I realised how much of a passion I had for it as I started to study and, and um, work. I knew I wanted to work with children and young people as well, so kind of combined the two of those things. And then um, as things moved forward, I, I stepped in to do more training uh, to deliver physiotherapy on horseback and through um, with something called hypotherapy fascinating thing to to do and it's it's really changed my approach to practice massively um but on a personal level um i've got two boys who are seven and ten now um both of them are neurodivergent my youngest son is diagnosed autistic adhd my eldest son is kind of identifies i guess as adhd and definitely has Mm -hmm. some attention and regulation differences Both of them had massive problems with um, massive barriers for accessing education. Um, My youngest son in particular experienced a lot of anxiety going into school, had some real difficulties with, um, with attending his mainstream school, but was incredibly bright and just didn't quite fit into this box of education being delivered in a way that, you know, where he had to sit down and he had to focus on certain things that were outside of his interest his motivations etc and so we kind of embarked on this personal journey for uh, as a certain family as a a family of children with additional needs and um, in September 2021 Arthur my youngest came out of school um, whilst he was waiting for his EHCP because he just couldn't attend any longer his mental health was in absolute crisis and our own experiences as a family led us to sort of expand what we were doing and the way that we were doing things. Um, I embarked for the first time on the EHCP journey as a family uh, um, rather Mm. than as a professional Um, and so all of that stuff I guess sparked a real curiosity in bringing all of those things together in a way that I could see Worked for him. Equine therapy was the only thing that he could access at a time when he was otherwise in complete crisis because it was outdoors, because it was free flow, because nothing else was needed from him in terms of conversation and demand other than that just basic interaction of being with horses. So, um that sort of put everything on this path for creating the CIC and bringing everything together, I suppose. And it's just one of those strange life journeys, I guess, that has put us to where we yeah. are now. So, yeah.
1: Amazing.
2: I see. Nice. And, and, and what, a, what a choice of a vehicle as a CIC. you know, with, uh, uh, As a fellow CIC, I think it's uh, it's a perfect model for opportunities like this. Yeah. So it's a perfect kind of structure of a business that, that enables you to generate your revenue, do do what you do as a business, but also um, make it very clear why you exist in the market. And so how did you come across that as a model? Did you get some advice around that?
0: Or- um, yeah, yes, yeah, so I, I actually ended up having some, um, some mentoring with a brilliant um, colleague of mine who, bizarrely enough, I met through Danny Wallace. <laughs>
1: really that's it got a lot to
0: answer for i tell you in terms of making (laughs) connections it's yeah for sure but um yeah so we began to explore it as a model because i knew that um a lot of what we were doing from a therapy point of view from a private therapy point of view and from an nhs therapy point of view actually remained quite inaccessible for a lot of families both from a financial perspective Um, but uh, we wanted to be able to expand what we did and to be able to do that we knew that we needed to kind of change the model of what we were doing and we also wanted to bring lived experience into that even more so my Mm. own lived experience as a SEND parent is one thing but everybody's journey and everybody's experience around kind of navigating the health and education systems is quite different so we wanted to be able to open up to have advisory boards and panels on and, and people from different backgrounds that meant that we could have a greater touch to, to people um, who we could support because um, we'd kind of come from this realm of supporting children and young people with physical needs and sensory needs and then moving more into understanding more about neurodivergence as well and neurodiversity um, and mental health has come into that really broadly as well as we've kind of done more with the CIC. so. Yeah, it was definitely about increasing our reach and increasing our accessibility alongside what we were already doing, really. So it's been a great model for us. Nice, nice, Yeah.
2: Uh, Yeah, I get it, I completely get it. So so what's the the vision for the CIC? What is is the vision for it uh, in the long term?
0: So the vision in the long term is that we are able to expand what we do, not just in our face-to-face services, but with... um, Looking in a much broader way at being able to support and mandate change for the education systems as well, so that we're looking at mm. um, really making both therapy, leisure, and learning accessible for all children and young people, regardless of their needs and regardless of their life experiences. So, at the basis of that, the vision is around equality for access to health and education services essentially for
1: all. Mm. Sounds like worth, well, that's a
2: worthwhile cause and vision to focus your energy on. That must uh, yeah, fuel your obsession.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, just, just a bit. I think um, I definitely I have a brilliant team around me who do rein me in. If I pick up a voice note every now and again and go, mm. hey, guys, I've got this great idea. I think this is what we need to do. And they go, all right, can we just get this one thing done first, please?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, a, yeah, that you need you need that though, you need the visionaries and the people to Because yeah, that's what drives the team team forward as well. Cause I, I did obviously from looking um deep, deeper into what you guys do, like one thing I was inspired by is it's not transactional. Yeah. So like not not just in your approach with the young people that you do, but like you want to create systemic change. Yeah. Um so like one of the questions that I've I've got for you is one, around access to to education, but two, the education system itself currently within schools, what what one thing do you think needs to change more than anything?
0: Culture. And I know that's big, but I think it's fundamental. So, i I released a book last year actually um called equipping send children for life and there's a chapter in there called inclusion is a culture not a policy um and it it really for me underpins everything that we need to change about our education system because um we think of inclusion as being this tick box exercise that we need for education you know we must be inclusive with what we do but The way that we approach inclusion in education at the moment is that we train a very small handful of staff up on um, a very basic level of inclusion and understanding about a basic level of need. But the real beautiful thing about inclusion is, is inclusion is for everybody. If we create more inclusive practices and all of the research behind inclusion tells us that it's about um, a belief system. It's about having a belief in doing more and expanding what we do and in being able to reflect in a way that sometimes is quite uncomfortable. That knowing that you only know what you do know and you don't know what you don't know. So. Being open enough to realise that there are always things that we can change. And no matter how long I'm in this game, from a a healthcare perspective and as a SEND parent, there's always more for me to learn. There's always more for me to be um, open-minded to to understanding. And I think that starts with Mm. um, understanding our own experiences of diversity. Because neurodiversity exists in all of us. We all have diverse brains. We all have diverse ways of thinking, learning and approaching things. Um, and if we can get a little bit of relatability in our own level of diversity and what works for us in our ways of learning things, um, you know, what environments do we need? Do we need the radio one in the background a little bit? Do we struggle with conversation? Do we struggle with um, bright lights? Do we need to be sat uh, with uh, without doing too much work from a physical point of view, or do you need to seek movement? Do you need like a wobble cushion under your bottom when you're sat? Do you need to stand? Do you voice note things better? All of these things have evolved with me and my understanding of myself and my diversity in my own brain has led to me creating these systems of work for myself that have worked. And I've had the freedom to do so as an entrepreneur, but we miss that in the education system. And um, our teaching staff have such minimal access to understanding the level of diversity around learning approaches in their own classrooms and no one really takes the time to understand their own processing powers and their own diversity and their own kind of kryptonite within those processing powers as well because we all have them yeah. it's it's all very well and good to say oh yeah but diversity is a superpower but actually it, it there is a massive ton of kryptonite that comes with that as well in a, a very kind of neuro normative world where we've got this expectation so We have to start with understanding our own diversity and understanding the nature of that diversity and understanding the connection that it has for us. So when something isn't right, what happens with our stress levels? What happens to our anxiety levels? Can we learn or work effectively in those environments? And the answer is no, because there's such a solid connection between those things and our mental health, well-being, our concentration and our attention to stuff. So beginning with a greater level of understanding that has to come through training and then moving into understanding how we can adapt what we do in our classrooms to make it um, more inclusive. But we can't get to the how you adapt it. It's not prescriptive unless you understand what you're seeing and how you're how you're seeing it. And that, I think, opens up our Hmm. minds to a better culture of inclusion within schools and education systems and a better understanding about how we can use things like um, movement and play and different surfaces and less kind of conformity to be sitting at desks and doing things in a particular way and box ticking. and We really need to be making our assessment processes in school more accessible um, for many more children and young people too. So it, it is completely about changing the culture that sits behind the education system. Because it's about people, it's not about assessments and scores, and achievement is going to look different for everybody.
2: Mm. So culture, now lived experience you mentioned there—that mm. so if you look at the root, so the root of that, how could the decision makers the lack of lived experience is the core of that, is it? And like, I think um, another CIC which I think I mentioned on the last series. Um, uh, Darren Mourinez uh, Expert citizens um, I'll, I'll, You need to connect you you'll meet at a future event no doubt um, They they build a whole CIC around they're called it expert citizens and that's the, what they do is they basically you know, They focus more on homelessness which is their kind of focus But they work with economic development teams in the area and say right well if you want to understand what homeless people need You better ask them <laughs> You, yeah. better, you actually better engage with them and, and creating that so is that something that we can do do you think as communities whilst we're waiting of course for things to change and uh, you know I'm always inspired to meet other CICs like you because I know that we collectively can do that yeah. um, but is there an opportunity do you think for communities to find that lived experience and get get themselves involved in the conversation at the very start? Yeah,
0: I absolutely think so. And, and I think, I think again, if we come to that with open intention and the, the intention to learn from that process and be open to the fact that we need to make change, drawing from different people's lived experience means that you're going to make things as accessible and inclusive as possible. Um, so... And there are always groups within local communities. You know, all you've got to do is search on social media for for you know a send charity or a, a send CIC that is is local to you, and you can guarantee that there'll be somebody who's willing to connect and network and have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're a business or an individual, but I definitely think opening up those opportunities for conversation with people with lived experience is so important because my lived experience. The reason SEN story got its name is because I was hearing this repeated story for families of, of children and young people mm-hmm. with Sen. The narrative is the same wherever we go, but the experience may differ. So it's really important that we understand that we're not just going to create an inclusive opportunity just from having one conversation. Those conversations have got to happen repeatedly So one of the things we do as a CIC is having our advisory board and our advisory board is made up of people with um, a variety of of different backgrounds and lived experiences. And that's something that I think a lot of businesses and individuals can do is actually welcome in the voice from lots of different um, minority and marginalised communities um, across the board because it really gives people a platform from which to stand and for us to create change in the first place so i think it's really fundamental that that we begin to create these as um as an expectation across business and life and and all of those sorts of things is is providing a platform and if we don't provide a platform because of the experiences within marginalized communities those with lived experiences won't necessarily come forward you will always get people who are willing to advocate and talk about things but the reality is, actually, we should be creating a platform for these conversations to happen because we're going to miss out on them otherwise.
1: Mm. Conscious
0: effort.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, on going back slightly around um, creating, so basically creating new cultures and um, using different approaches to do that. I'd love to. Obviously, I'm being quite selfish now. I'd love to learn from from you and what you guys do. Um, so, what what does that look like? And for educators or facilitators listening, or even young people listening, that can then go back to their, their places of learning and go, "Do you know what? I've just listened to this, and I want I want to implement this." What 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 practices work best for you with the young people you work with?
0: So everything we do is quite dynamic and practical, but it also comes from um, a place of asking what works. And I think, again, we've just talked about the lived experience conversation and there's no one to tell us those things like our children, young people and their families. Um, And I think if we listened to what was difficult or we gave an opportunity to um, for them to voice where some of those barriers for access are that's a really good place to start. So generating conversation that says, well, you know, was that tough? How did that feel for you? How was the noise level? So we Mm. could look at the sensory systems, being sensory aware comes into a part of that for sure. Um, And creating an environment or generating an environment where we are sensory aware and we can respond to things or provide opportunities for kind of breakout spaces and stuff. So being sensory aware and, and having a baseline level of knowledge is really, really important. Um, and then in terms of what we do with it, creating a uh, a space where, where things are readily available. So things like um, fidget toys, uh, ear defenders or loops, um, other kind of um, noise cancelling um, earbuds and things like that. Knowing that some people will need to doodle, some people will need to move. We need to introduce movement breaks. um That's what being sensory aware is about. And that's a really important part of that approach. Um, And then the other uh, factor in that approach is experiential learning. So doing things or learning through doing, because not everybody's Mm. brain is gonna process information that comes in from an auditory perspective that's spoken to you. Not everybody is going to be able to visually take information in that is written down on a board or a book in front of them. Um not everybody is going to be able to write a perfect piece of work with a pen and paper. But if you gave them a laptop and a computer or a tablet or another means by which to um, show their knowledge, then that is equally a valid uh, form of looking at what somebody has taken in, absorbed and learned and held on to. Um, but changing the way that we use our classrooms, so the introduction of things like standing desks, for example, is brilliant. Having different corners of the room where things can can happen. So some kids might sit on a beanbag. We, you know, we do things in a way that is very free flow and very um, delivered through experience cool. and movement. Oh with God. that kind of yeah, I wanna,
1: I wanna, I want Yeah, come, come. <laughs> 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 well,
0: what's what's
2: really interesting, Joe, is that like, so you're having before I moved into the CIC world, before I was doing this, I was building businesses and I've you know, employed about 150 people in the last kind of seven, eight years in my own businesses. And when, you get, when you're taking talent in, everything in the work environment is about learning through doing. Yeah. So, so it doesn't even match the economy anyway. So the traditional education system isn't, doesn't match what we do when we get them here anyway. So mm-hmm. it, it just seems, it's so bizarre to me. Like, we all know that this is—it's ridiculous that you have to exist as, a, as an organization in, in the best sense. Like, I'm so happy you do, but it is ridiculous, isn't it? Does it does it. How do you how do you manage that anger and, and frustration that you you must have felt during times where you try to make change and you just get hit by wall by wall? I'm just curious about how you personally managed to, those feelings because I get it and I feel it.
0: So I. I am a really solution focused person and one of our uh, kind of um, like the limited companies strapline is that more is always possible. Um, And and there's a reason for that because I try and stay really solution focused. And there are times where I have to kind of sit down and map things out and and navigate my my way through things. But there are equally times where I have just sat and cried into my cereal, (laughs) you know, because particularly as a, as a parent, you know, To have both of my children have experienced such significant challenges with mental health as a result of those barriers for access to education has been heartbreaking and soul-destroying because we also then build this picture of kids being their needs and not not the people that they are, essentially, and... Both of my kids lost who they were through the process of being in the education system. They completely lost their spark. They, they lost their motivation for learning. Both of them had such a thirst for learning. Um, and it it does feel hard being a, a lone voice, I think, sometimes as a parent, as an individual. Um, but my experience is... In work from a professional point of view, as a as a physiotherapist, I've done I do a lot of um, clinical negligence work and a lot of medico legal work, where we're able to work collaboratively as teams a lot more than we would do perhaps with some of the restraints and resources within some of our NHS services, etc. Through the work that I've done in my private practice. I've learned that actually there's always a solution somewhere and the more that we put in to finding that solution and we get a bit creative with what we're doing, the more we will find an outcome that works Um, and we might have to fight to get there. And it might be a slog and it might be difficult and you might need to pull a few different people into that toolkit that you build for yourself. Um, you know, it might not just be a, a set of band of therapists, for example. You might also need an advocate or, you know, somebody who's, who's sat on your side to be able to push things forward with a level of knowledge. But if we do work collaboratively and you do have your eyes on the prize, on that end point that you get to, you can have your days where things are really frustrating But it's really about, for me personally, fueling that and channeling that into a place where we can create change, because otherwise that anger is pretty pointless. Our journey has been pretty pointless if we don't do something for it, not just for ourselves, but also know that we've gotten to where we are because I can advocate for my kids because I have the professional experience and knowledge and we fought really, really hard for an EHCP for Arthur, which is a, a, a you know, legal document mm. that states what he needs and how things need to be provided. And through that, we've secured something called a EOTAS package. So he has an education other than at school package. So all of his learning is done in a very experiential le- um, way from between alternative provisions, animals, being outdoors, forest school, um, computers and tech, oh. all sorts of stuff. Um, And then my eldest is electively home educated and we take a very similar approach to his learning as well because it's what's worked for both of them. So through all of that difficulty, I've been able to channel that into creating something that looks better than it did and I hope will always continue to look better than it did. And that really has fueled me to make a bigger difference for more families because I know how very need it, needed it is, not just from my own personal lived experience, but from having those conversations with other children and families and um, other businesses who a huge number of entrepreneurs are, don't work and learn in a way that is, you know, as you say, it's, it doesn't fit with our education system. So many of us step into business needing something that is experiential, that's learning through doing, that's creative, that's doing something that is not just about traditional-looking academic learning. And so we're doing a disservice. Imagine what we what we could do if we all actually felt more empowered to do things in a way that aligned with what we needed. Um, and it's a neurological need. You know, this is something that I think that sometimes as a society, we, under, we struggle to understand. It's much more about what is an innate need within our brains as well. It's how we're driven to process information. It's how we're driven to learn. Um, it's all, it's not a coincidence. It is all about how we tick neurologically. We can't change that. So, mm. but when we can go with it, when we do work out what works for us, that's where the real kind of magic happens and good things start to happen and we can then go out and expand what we do and create more change in the world moving forward as well. Mm.
2: Introducing Joe the Curious
1: Entrepreneur,
0: wow,
2: love that,
1: love that. I was, I was going to ask, it's really inspiring actually, it's made me think about how, Itic and, and and actually coming out of this conversation, I'm going to start that. Be more mindful of that. Was it was there a process, or was it literally just experiment and and reflect?
0: So, when I talk with um, educators or individuals, business owners do a lot of work with business owners um, now as well in kind of exploring their own processing powers and things and their own kryptonite um, and. I always come back to start with the sensory systems we have eight of those and most people think that we have five but we have eight Um, and again they're all neurologically built from before we were even born all the way through our early experiences in childhood for those first few years so the I guess if you're going to start to think about some of those things, looking at those um, five what I'd call external systems, so the systems that receive information from the outside world, and those are the five that we typically think of as the senses. So it's sight, sound, smell, taste and touch, the three S's and the two T's, that's how I always remember it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we have these three internal (laughs) systems that process information from the inside of our bodies, um, and those uh, are our vestibular system. So that's the one that interprets or seeks or avoids movement. Um, it's the one that you experience when you're on a swing, for example, or um, going around on a roundabout or in a um, like the waltzes and stuff. And some people hate those feelings and some people really love them. Hanging upside down is another mm. vestibular thing as well. Um, so for anybody who does anything I'm like that.
2: I'm a hater. Yeah, like, so, and that's like, it. When
0: things, you start so. to explore this stuff, you're like, whoa, no, no, that's a... And you get yeah, this thing yeah. where everyone has a <laughs> thing. Like my yeah. thing's a wooden fork. It's that tactile. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and it makes me shudder. And my language centers really? drop. Yeah, my language centers <laughs> drop. So I'd like to actually talk about it, it makes me feel physically uncomfortable ah. because it triggers um this kind of fight flight response this is how powerful this stuff is for us so that's my thing but everybody has a thing and that thing will be the the one that makes you go as you start to think about it and you have a little shudder and a little like oh no can't think about that um and that's kind of your kryptonite that's your sensory nemesis but we do all have those things and we also have those things that allow us to kind of drive forward so there's the the vestibular system with the movement-based stuff there's the body awareness proprioception stuff as well so some people this is where stuff like the weighted blankets come in as well you've got that that you know a lot of people have weighted blankets and things that they'll tuck themselves up under in the evening for a bit of relaxation and calm um some people need to move contact sport is really proprioceptive as well so if you're somebody who needs to go and do like a i don't know kickboxing class or plays rugby or Um, some kind of martial arts for example and that and you come out and you feel good and you feel regulated after that that's proprioceptive input again Um, being on a beanbag that wraps around you and being able to concentrate in that time because you've got that kind of pressure and feedback into your body is also proprioceptive and then we have the interoceptive system which is our internal system or our internal ability to understand uh, our feelings for things like hunger thirst emotions needing to go to the loo for example as well and pain comes into that so um some of us will not be able to concentrate this is me if you are hungry (laughs) for example like I need to be regulated enough with food and drink to be able to concentrate on something Mm. um but some other people will go for ages without needing something because they've got a low threshold for those sorts of things So looking at all of those eight parts of the sensory systems and starting to think about what is it that I like? What is it that I don't like? When I'm going to sit down and I'm going to be at my absolutely most productive, what has happened for my body and my mind and my environment to be able to let that happen? And when we start to understand that about ourselves, you can start creating these environments. But you can also start forgiving yourself for those times where your productivity does dip as well. So rather than beating yourself up and going, oh, I really needed to get that done. You realise that actually you didn't get it done because you hadn't had lunch that day, because um, you had been putting off going to the loo because you were telling yourself that you needed to sit at your laptop and concentrate. You hadn't been for a run that morning. Um, there was noise going on next door that you could hear stuff and it was distracting or you were having people coming in and out of the office for example any of those things that's you know visual auditory distraction um interoceptive difficulties lack of vestibular input all of those things might have led you not to be productive that day and that's okay because that's about what your brain needs and it really didn't need that environment that you'd created for yourself in that moment. So. Mm. I think that is a, it, it's such a powerful tool. And I tell you, once you see it and you think about it, you can't unsee it either. And you begin to see it in other yeah. people.
2: <laughs> awareness, yeah. it comes back to that self-awareness, yeah. right? Then the action. Yeah. <laughs> is there any, is there any value in, is there any value in, in your personal growth by challenging any of that in you? So, so for instance, is there any value in me um, going on the roller coaster, even though I know that my body just does not want me to do it? No, because
0: your system. Any growth? Is there any
2: growth in that? No,
0: because your system is so hardwired with its own individual thresholds. So we each have our own profile for processing powers, and for that mm. kryptonite factor as well. And the way that the um, the nervous system works the way that the, our brain interprets that information is it's designed to keep us safe it's a primitive need and that's why these things are developed um, in utero as part of pregnancy and as part of neurodevelopment in pregnancy but also in those early stages of life um, and they're really heavily linked into things like um, attachment and early experiences around emotions and trauma and things as well so we and not always they develop they develop as part of normal neurodevelopment anyway, but they can be heavily influenced by those things as well. So whatever our development mental threshold happens to be, so whatever's happened for our brains and our bodies um, over those first few years of life, we have an established norm for us. And some of us just happen to have tiny shot glasses that get filled up really, really fast with that information. And some of us have these massive pint glasses for our sensory systems where we can take loads of it and we might seek it out. But, We can't change the size of those glasses. We can't change what our thresholds are. And exposing yourself to those things isn't going to change the size of that glass. All it's going to do is expose you to emotionally difficult circumstances and remind you of all the reasons why you hate it. We can prime Mm. our bodies to have, we have a a kind of a bandwidth with that threshold. So if all of your shot glasses or all of your pint glasses are full and, and they're overflowing on that day, if you introduce one more thing to one system on that day, you might feel it more than you will on another day. Wow. So your experiences yeah. can, can ch- your experiences can change day to day, but you will never change your baseline threshold of those things. And to do so, it will only lead your sensory system into this place of like fight, flight, freeze, um, and really sort of set things off from an anxiety and a, a fear response point of view. So, it's important yeah. that you're kind to yourself.
1: That is crazy. That was a very good question, I must admit. Yeah, it was good. Oh, um on, on that, I know you said about previously how actually it's even from birth these these systems are like have a, have an impact. How like what's is there a certain um period in your life where the Like you said about the shot glasses and the pint glasses or whatever, where that's actually the size of that is impacted in a certain frame of your life.
0: So the first couple of years of your life, the first sort of two years of your life are some of the most significant um, developmentally anyway, if you think about the rate at which we develop in those first couple of years of life. And the rate at which development happens during pregnancy, as well to the brain systems. You know, we're we're born with immature nervous systems, basically. The first couple of years of your life are really influential, and then up until about five, you know, two to five, things begin to slow a little bit, and then I would say as you come through life, probably from from that school age onwards, you're fairly well set. But there are things that can still continue to influence your systems over that time into um, full kind of neurodevelopment that that will will probably slow by the time you get to sort of secondary school age and and into your teenage years for sure. Mm. But certainly that naught to five stage is the most influential and by then you're fairly well established for most of your sensory systems. But the vestibular system, Mm. for example, this is the reason why babies are head down before they're born because from about twenty eight weeks onwards the vestibular system builds and it and it begins to develop more when babies are head down so if you've got children who are born prematurely they'll have um, underdeveloped systems in certain places because they haven't had those yeah. experiences that have been needed of them so those first few years are so important that's mad. and and you know you're not completely and that's why and that's
1: why you enjoy. Sorry, sorry for cutting you off. Is that so? That's why pe- people might enjoy hanging upside down, is that correct? Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't it? And I've hey. worked, that's mad.
0: I've oh, wo- got that's
2: mad. I'm sorry, yeah. go on. You play this I,
0: was, I was just gonna say, I've,
1: sorry for cutting you off.
0: I've worked with um, children and young people where we've delivered therapy and learning with teachers with them upside down over a gym ball, for example and they've typed on grid pads and on their communication devices and bits and pieces because they're upside down and because they're experiencing movement. But if you put them into um, kind of traditional seating at a desk to learn, that engagement isn't going to come out for some of those children and young people. That's crazy. Um, It's such powerful stuff. That's mad. And if we let go of this expectation that we need to do things in a particular way, we kind of create this freedom for us to really tap into what is most powerful and influential for us. If you, if you could see team meetings for us, honestly, <laughs> we're all quite, <laughs> new, we're all quite <laughs> <near> <laughs> a diverse individuals. So, you know, you can well, just to see it
1: now, someone hanging upside down on the beanbag, <laughs>
0: someone walking up and down, someone bouncing around, someone with some putty in their hand. I love that
1: Right. I love that. <laughs>
2: It's really good, like this has
1: inspired me so much. Absolutely. So, like, it's because obviously our, our vision is to have our own um, ignite academies and that. And I'm uh, even like just having this conversation with you. I'm thinking like, we've got an outdoor gym area where people are Like, I, I love this. Seriously, this has been so amazing. Really, as a father, I I'm,
2: I'm So I've my first. So I've got a twenty. Well, he's nineteen now, twenty this year. Um, and then I've also got a sixteen-week-old baby. Currently nurturing into life at the moment, and and I must admit, I mean, in the process of over the last six months, mm. Christine, my partner and I, we're so tuned into this because it's like, it's just so important. But that pressure on the parent is really quite. Now we know this, so, to, so with this awareness, I feel like it is really inspiring. I love it, but it's also like really like wild. That's just yeah. we need to talk more. We just need to talk more, and there needs to be more community mm. around because all the stuff, honestly. The stuff that we get told about by the systems that exist, like the standard stuff, because we don't really, because we're both entrepreneurs, both my partner and I, um, like you, very kind of, where's the solution? Where are the opportunities? Like we're always like open to new things, but you don't find it in the existing system you need to engage with content like this to understand mm. it so i'm hoping people will get inspired by some of what you've shared uh, there yeah i'm so. so massively like, yeah, I'm not, massively
1: and if you think <laughs> seriously like this i've all the well, sorry
0: i was just going to say that if you think about all of the things that you do alex for your little one now everything that you do comes back to nurturing those nervous system responses and those sensory system responses and development so what do we do with little ones we rock them we bounce them we sing to them we soothe them we put our faces up against theirs we hold them we cuddle them and and we play with them and all of those things are enriching the sensory system and when we do things when they're upset the things that we do to calm them Come completely back to those primitive responses within the nervous systems. They completely come back to that rocking and swinging movement, to that being calm, regulating everything because children and young people need co regulation. So, this concept of self regulation only comes after we've had really secure co regulation. And for some of us, we need co regulation, we need support from somebody else or something else to regulate our systems before we can regulate ourselves and for anybody who doesn't learn in a traditional way you can bet your bottom dollar that creating those environments for them to come up with ideas and be creative and focus on what they need to focus on that tapping into all of this stuff is so important imagine like the google offices i don't know if you've ever seen like the google offices and a couple of other places and it just looks like a playground doesn't it
2: (laughs) yeah that's right and that's what that's that's great because it works for everyone yeah
0: it does and that's what being inclusive is about is that it's starting with that knowledge it's being inspired to understand yourself first and foremost and then thinking about how that can relate to other people because we create this culture of inclusion by understanding ourselves first and foremost and having that self-awareness yeah. is so powerful.
2: So that, and that comes right back around to where we started, which is that it's not about policy, it's about culture.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Can I ask one last question about um, your relationship with entrepreneurship? So a lot of the listeners on our podcast are in the early stages of becoming an entrepreneur or they may be an organisation that support young people that are getting into entrepreneurship, what's your relationship with entrepreneurship uh, as Joe? Um, and um, what do you think the role that that as a subject to be talked about with young people has in the future of our education?
0: So because of my background as a healthcare professional when I first stepped into entrepreneurship it was through private practice, through stepping out of the NHS, wanting to do things a bit differently, but also being a little bit bound by conformity still as well. Um, mm. And I spent a long time initially feeling a little bit like a fraud because, you know, I was a scientist. I wasn't actually a business person, but I would just accidentally become a business person by having my own business because I didn't want to work in the NHS. Um but what I've realised is that there are so many skills that i built as a physiotherapist that lend themselves so well to entrepreneurship. And what it's done for me, it's kind of released that conformity and released those bounds about what my profession should be and what, what as a physiotherapist I should do. And it has allowed me to expand that on such a level in a way that completely aligns with my values, with my experiences and and my professional knowledge, I've been able to kind of combine those things. And I think really that's what entrepreneurship absolutely is about, is, is uh, you know, having that big creative vision and being brave enough to step into the space to create something that allows that to happen, knowing that it happens for you and with you and that you kind of go along on this journey with it. So. That, for me, is what entrepreneurship is. But what it's also done is it's allowed me to work with so many other people that sit outside my immediate zone of um, professional skill or what my zone of professional skill used to be. So being able to have those conversations with people like yourselves, making Mm -hmm. those connections and um, learning more. uh, It never ceases to amaze me in the entrepreneurial space how many people exist doing so many different jobs um and doing it because they love it so that's what it is and that's what it's become for me and and I now kind of don't really put any bounds on you know well this is where I want to get to I have a vision of what's next but I know that whatever comes later on um my first business coach I I had this phrase that I used with her where I was like I was you know I can't even remember who the song is by but there's a a song that says um you saw the crescent or I saw the crescent you saw the whole of the moon and that for me was it it really underpins my entrepreneurial journey because I thought that this is what I was capable of this little crescent bit here and actually entrepreneurship is that big like hole of the moon you can go and do whatever you want to do so long as it works for you and you're doing a good job with it and you you know that's what it's about, and that's what it's become, which is exciting, so. Oh,
2: I love that. So would, you, <laughs> would you back me up when I say, when I talk to schools and when I talk to decision makers and, you know, the various circles that I'm trying to enforce our will on, um, <clears throat> and I say to them that entrepreneurship is the most inclusive subject in the world, would you back that yeah,
0: up? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely it is, because um we wouldn't be where we are in the world today if people didn't take those leaps and if we didn't do things in a slightly different way if we look at like the ultimate entrepreneurs like Richard Branson Richard Branson is is neurodiverse he's dyslexic he's there were challenges for him within the education system and yet he discovered Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and imagine if we could tap into those skills and experiences and possibilities with more of our children and young people in school I think it is. I think that's a spot-on statement for sure.
1: Yeah. Right, Robert. I, I, just on that, on the last note, Richard Branson. I saw a video of him on Stephen Bartlett's podcast explaining that he was in a board meeting um, when he was young, and they were talking about figures. And then they start. They spoke about kind of profit, and he I was like. Yeah, it's mental. I was like, "What?" And then basically, the way someone explained gross profit to him was through a fit, like through fish and and fishing. I was just like, "That's so cool." But
2: it's, I mean, it's just so logical. Yeah, I know. I know know. it's like we all. It shouldn't be groundbreaking. This is like this is stuff that we should we should know. This. Yeah. We all know. We've seen it. I learned geography, because my love for football, and I was playing Football Manager and FIFA and whatever when I was younger. And so I knew the countries based on where the footballers were from.
1: Mm. You know, yeah, uh, I'm I was, the same. You know,
2: there's a great example of um, a guy uh, a guy called Darren, uh, Darren Pescod, who's, he runs a phenomenal mortgage brokerage and he gets these investments and he's super like, successful in the finance world. And he sent me whilst I was away, because uh, he's in his know, early 50s now, um, a report from when he was at school in maths saying, you know, underperforming, D, you know, whatever else, and here he is, because there was no context. He couldn't get excited about Mm. algebra or whatever else, but he could get excited about how to turn this amount of money into that amount of money and and, and then relating it to something Mm. as well. Amazing. Joe, this has been phenomenal. I really enjoyed this conversation, and, and thank you for being just so knowledgeable and obsessed with this subject because what you've shared today uh, adds so much value to uh, our audience and for anyone who's listened to this back um, how how can they connect with you and and what you're doing how can they follow uh, more how can they follow their curiosity into what you're doing
0: so if you want to learn a bit more about your own processing powers the book is a really good way to do it so it's called equipping send children for life and whether you're an adult um in the education space or a son parent or just somebody wanting to learn a little bit more we cover quite I cover quite a lot in the book about that so and i also have a course um for called know your processing powers as well where we cover all of that in quite a lot of detail but social media is a good shout as well so um just joe McMeekin on linkedin or um uh, instagram is joe underscore underscore sen underscore physio um, and uh, yeah Facebook as well by all means reach out connect um, any opportunity to to expand what we're doing and to have those connections and conversations is always so welcome so yeah thank you
2: well we'll put all the links in the in the description of the podcast um, episode as well so yeah yeah I hope everyone's enjoyed this
1: I certainly have (laughs) I'm I'm this being honest this is the this is the conversation where i've come my way most curious and inspired to reflect on myself and about what we're doing as well so yeah we've got an eight hour strategy meeting now
0: (laughs) go and get some movement into it go and hang upside down off the end of a table do whatever you need spin on a chair
1: yeah (laughs) Okay, <laughs> like, uh, I'll do that anyways. If yeah, you know. Know. <laughs> yeah. So this is a brilliant way. Obviously, we we found out at the end of 2022 that we're in the top 30 watch, uh, top 30 listens, and then top 20 percent watched on Spotify. So this is get cracking this yeah. year. And so, and so if
2: you, And actually, we found out that there's a large percentage of people that are watching. The episodes and listening to the episodes, but don't subscribe.
1: Yeah, so it's if really you important. Can,
2: please do hit subscribe, and if you're on Spotify, hit the rating. Um, give us a five star if you will. Yeah, um, don't give us a four. <laughs> either, either give us a five star <laughs> or one star, <laughs> or don't bother. Um, but yeah, please do give us a rating because I can't believe I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's a large percentage of people that don't actually subscribe even though they're watching. So please yeah. do that, and um, yeah, we'll be back uh, next
0: week with more. Thanks everyone. Thank, Thank you. You.